1: The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? It's The Season with Peter Schrager. I'm Peter Schrager. So fired up to be with you again this week with another podcast episode. Last week we had on... Paul Rudd, the uh, comedian, the actor, the Chiefs fan, and the response has been awesome. I'm joined here by my guy, Aaron wong Kaufman, Aaron, as our producer extraordinaire who is here for the Rudd Podcast, what, what what was your favorite moment and what has been the takeaway since we've had him on last week and gave us 90 minutes of his time?
2: Uh, I loved it. He was incredible, not only like on talking about other, like, other celebs that you called out. I mean, I loved the fact that um, talking about the Broadway show he did, and he was like, oh, yeah, and then just the other guy who was in the show with me, <laughs> you know, Bradley Cooper. I was just like, he was so good, and then um, he had so many great stories about the Chiefs players that he knew, too, and, like, hearing about... His interactions with Mahomes' parents and, and with Kelsey. I mean, it was he was great. Loved Good it.
1: dude too. And like I think that's the goal of this podcast. Let's get to know these people, not just, you know, let's promote your latest, you know, television show, whatever. That's it. The new Ant Man trailer came out. Guys, I'll be honest. I'm not a huge uh Marvel universe or DC comics guy, but the new Ant Man trailer I had a little Elton John uh, goodbye yellow brick road in the background. And I I don't know, Aaron, did you see it yet? Did you see the Ant Man trailer?
2: I did, I saw it twice yesterday, yeah bill murray's in it like just a quick shot of him quick yep. shot little Very easter excited. egg yeah
1: yeah um i had a crazy weekend i fly out to la from new york every single week and i film for fox on the fox nfl kickoff show and i usually fly in on a saturday morning have a quiet saturday doing work and then sunday i do the fox pregame show and i fly back to new york and watch the games on a plane Saturday was the Rams bye week, and uh, I was texting with their coach, Sean McVay, and he was like, why don't you come by the house and let's just watch college football and hang on Saturday. I'm like, all right, got to do it. Uh, Awesome, awesome Saturday. But I think what you'd find most interesting is that like how little – he wanted to talk football, how little he wanted to get into the Rams' woes, how little he wanted to fixate on next week's opponent, the 49ers, how little he wanted to get into the Christian McCaffrey trade, which, by the way, I think the Rams were a lot closer uh, than the the rest of us were giving off on TV on Friday and Saturday. Um, but for your love, Aaron, of just entertainment and all those things. So, like, we're a couple hours into hanging, a couple drinks, and his wife Veronica is amazing, and she comes by and she's like, do you guys want to watch like a show? We're like, I got the Yankee game on. We've got Oklahoma State, Texas. And I'm like, Yeah. And they're like, Well, what show do you want to watch? And McVeigh's like, I nothing, you know, no more, you know, serial killer, mass murder, true crime. I'm not looking for that. What I was like, Well, I've got a murder show, but it's more like comedy than murder. So he had never seen White Lotus. She had never seen White Lotus. Queued up White Lotus. If you want to ask what a wild night in LA with the hottest couple in the city is like, we watched four hours worth of White Lotus, just just, just Armand, the uh, the hotel manager, just crushing it. Um, the, the it was awesome. And eventually it, it was like nine o'clock, midnight Eastern. I'm like, all right, I gotta, I gotta go home. Got an Uber home. And uh, you know, the next day I'm on show, and everyone's asked me, what was it like hanging with Nick Vay? Where'd you go? What the TMZ. We watched uh, an HBO uh, prestige TV show from a year ago. We just watched four hours of it, like cuddling like a family. You
2: binged four hours of White Lotus. Did you skip the intro or did you watch the intro every time? Well, uh, skip the intro. And oh, he's on I the controls. The, the theme song is so oh, the good. The theme song is Lotus. great.
1: And you get the music and the visuals. But I'm talking about the scenes from last week. And McVeigh oh, yeah. is the kind of guy who will never give up play calling. It's the kind of guy that says, I'm going to take a backseat, like, it's funny watching a TV show with that guy cause he's got to control the remote and you know, he's got the whole hookup with his surround sound and all this stuff. But I'll say this from a football standpoint, like it's not as much doom and gloom as I imagined. I thought I was going to be going over there and I've known Sean for many years and, Uh, I think he would say it. We're we're very close friends and we talk a lot, but I thought I was coming in and part of my hat was going to be like lifting him up and just telling him, you know, you're three and three and look at the Niners. They're three and three and you could beat the Seahawks and all that stuff. And, you know, whether I believe it or not playing that role. Um, he wasn't looking for that. He was in a good place. And I think he knows there's 11 games left in the regular season. And a lot of this story has not been written. So last year's rise was great. And the win was amazing in the Super Bowl. But like, if they can pull something out of what they are right now, that might be an even greater coaching job from him. And I'm not certain he can. I I think the stack the chips are stacked against them in a lot of ways. But gosh, Aaron, when you look at the NFC, Buccaneers lose to the Panthers. Uh, the packers lose to the washington commanders you've got the, the the teams that everyone thought would be good the niners are 3 and 4 you know besides the eagles at 6 and 0 oh, and maybe the cowboys like none of the teams that were written to be great before the season have done anything the vikings are 5 and 1 and i don't even know what that team is so i think the rams are still very much alive and i'll i'll pick him against most of the coaches in this league in a big spot all right aaron you ready for four downs
2: i am all right let's go fire away First down, speaking of the NFC, who deserves the most credit for what Seattle is doing right now?
1: Seattle is the best story in football, if you ask me. I know we're in New York and Giants and Jets are getting a lot of love, but no one, no one had the Seahawks doing anything this year. Remember, they traded Russell Wilson in a fourth-round pick and got back Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, Noah Fant, A 2022 first-round pick, which ended up being their starting tackle, Charles Cross. A 2022 second-round pick. They also got a 2022 fifth-round pick. They also got next year's first-round pick. They also got next year's second-round pick. And what they end up doing, they hit home runs at every spot. I'm going to give John Schneider, the longtime general manager, some credit here. As much as we want to talk up Gino, and we will... Schneider looked at this thing. He had a nine-man draft class. He gets Tariq Woolen, 153rd overall. The guys tied to the league league in and interceptions. He gets Kobe Bryant, yes, that's his name. Kobe Bryant, who lined up across from Sauce Gardner at Cincinnati. He's a starting corner, had a pick last week against the Chargers. He gets two starting offensive tackles in Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. And then he gets Kenneth Walker, who is the sensation of the league, ran for about 173 yards and put the game on ice with that touchdown against the Chargers. I think... The Seahawks front office deserves a lot of credit. And Pete Carroll, too. I mean, Pete Carroll, he could have easily packed it in after the Russell Wilson era and been like, all right, I'm not here for the rebuild. There hasn't been much of a rebuild. They're four and three. They're in first place in the division. And John Schneider, who was quiet throughout this entire thing, did not pile any dirt on Russell Wilson. This guy released Bobby Wagner and people went nuts and kind of was like, yeah, Bobby's been a great pro, but it's been time to move on. (laughs) they replenished this roster so quickly with young talent and they're all performing and they're four and three. We are in week eight in the Seattle Seahawks with Geno Smith and a bunch of rookies, five of them making, you know, starting appearances on Sunday. Those rookies, they are in first place in the NFC West. And if the playoffs were to start today, they would be hosting a playoff game. Absolutely incredible. John Schneider, one of the great talent evaluators, but in this case, I think he deserves a lot of credit, even though he's not one who's going to run in front of a microphone.
2: All right. From a good vibe to maybe not as good of a vibe. Second down, what do you make of Kyler and Cliff on the sideline, yelling at each other, cursing, right there on national TV?
1: Fascinated by it. I think Cliff took the high road in a lot of ways, but there was a little line there in the press conference afterwards where he said, like, it's very Gen Z. And I'm like, yeah go there we go there's something there um gen z i I mean kyler from what i gather obviously was hearing cliff in the headset and was yelling at him you know effing calm down effing calm down and it's one thing to do that in a practice it's another thing to do that in the locker room it's another thing on thursday night football with the entire nation watching to be screaming at your head coach dropping f-bombs here is what i will say NFL Films has been filming hard knocks in season with the Arizona Cardinals the entire season. It premieres November 8th. I am fascinated to see what they captured and what they show us. The cutting room floor stuff could be even more interesting because I think Cliff and Kyler, as much as Cliff drafted Kyler and as much as Kyler uh, you know, has known Cliff since since Cliff recruited him out of high school— I think that thing is not in a good place. And I think Kyler, in a lot of ways, people enjoyed seeing him show a little emotion, a little fire. It's okay to curse once in a while. It's okay to tell your coach off. It's the heat of the moment as long as you guys patch it up and it's like there's a mutual respect. I'd love to know what's going on in that building from Monday to Saturday and not just on the Sundays. And I think hard knocks, the NFL producers, what are we doing if we're not capturing it all and showing us the real uncut stuff? This can't be a puff piece on the Arizona Cardinals. It's very rare that we get hard knocks and it's, hey, here are all the warts and here are all the wounds. I would imagine that the team has some approval process in the editorial, but like, gosh, when you get a moment like that, penny for your thoughts, but like, I would love, love to see everything that went into that dust-up, but also the fallout afterwards. Cliff and Kyler probably not in a great
2: place right now. And as we talk about it, right in the thick of the NFC. All right. Third down. Uh, Can you just explain to me what the call was at the end of the Browns game?
1: Yeah, I can't explain it without going to my sources. So obviously I work with a lot of people in the league at the league office. I work with you know Mike Pereira and Dean Blandino, who work at Fox. I reached out to a few folks, and I will say this. I'm not going to name the source on this, and it's none of those guys um, who explained it. And he said, Here was the deal. There actually were two false starts by the offense on that play. The center dropped his head and moved the ball at the same time, and that caused the defensive reaction where you saw Calais Campbell come on in. But also... The left tight end moved before any of the other offensive players, and you can't do that. And this is where it gets really in the weeds with the rule book. And at home, like none of us know this. That left tight end is not protected since he is more than two and a half positions from the point where the defense entered the neutral zone. All right. So if Calais Campbell enters that thing two and a half positions away, that guy, that left tight end, is is still susceptible to being a penalty. So the center lifted his head, false start. The left tight end, he moved, false start. Unfortunately, the refs on the field, they announced at 68, the left guard was at fault. He didn't move at all. So it's very hard to unpack, and Browns fans are like, the league is screwing us. The league hates us. I spoke to someone who knows, and this guy who's looked at it time and time again was telling me, here's the deal. Two different false starts, One by the center, one by the left tight end. They just identified the wrong guy on the broadcast in 68, did nothing wrong. He didn't move. He was fine. Um, As for picking up a flag on the Jacoby Brissett roughing the passer, something I've never seen before, a roughing the passer that could have changed the game. And then they said, ah, it actually was no flag. Yeah, I don't know about that one, guys.
2: All right, fourth down. Who do you want to give a shout out to this week?
1: I want to give a shout out to my lovely wife, Erica. All right, this is not just me trying to get brownie points. Let me explain my wife Erica's weekend. Uh, So as I just mentioned, I fly out to Los Angeles every weekend to work on the Fox show. I love it. It's with Sean Payton. It's with Carissa Thompson, who's an absolute rock star. And it's with Michael Vick and Charles Woodson, two guys who I had their posters up when I was a kid. It's like, I'm living my dream. Meanwhile, I've got my wife back home, and she's a a, a single mother on the weekends with my son, Mel, who's now a rambunctious six-year-old who has the curiosity like you've never seen and the energy like you've never seen, and it's his birthday this weekend. And all he wanted to do was see Lamar Jackson play in person, his first NFL game. I I work for the NFL. There is no way that my kid is requesting seeing Lamar Jackson playing a game that we're not making that happen. Um, My wife traveled from New York City, to Baltimore, took my son to a Ravens-Browns game, sat in the crowd with my guy, and my son had the greatest birthday gift you could ever imagine. Shout out to the Ravens staff who, I gave them a little heads up, I didn't want any big to do, I don't want that, but they came by and gave him a pin that said my first game. I cannot tell you how happy and how proud I was to see my offspring be in love with the game of football. And when I do this for a living and live and die with it every single day, Um, the Ravens obviously win. My little guy Mel had a blast, but it doesn't happen if I don't have a partner in crime who's like, yeah, cool. Let's go to a football game on a Sunday. the the the, the first thing I want to do, especially in Baltimore, let's go. Um, they got back yesterday, and I think I thanked her, but this is uh, I say I think because who knows? I probably was you know bitching about something else, but I would like to thank her on this podcast. Aaron, was that romantic? Was that
2: nice? That was beautiful. Yeah, I love that, and and especially last week, you and Paul talked about Paul's first football game. Uh, your son will remember this forever. That's that's great. Yeah, and Daddy wasn't there. Okay, now
1: Aaron. <laughs> Do you you have a shout out for me?
2: Yeah. um, So I was texting with some of my friends uh, about football and one of them is a diehard Giants fan. And he, you know, is texting me like pre-written apology notes to Daniel Jones. Like if you fill in the blanks, I'm sorry, Daniel Jones, I made fun of you for this, but I want to call out Daniel Jones because like, he looks so much more comfortable in the pocket. And right now, through seven weeks, he's got more rushing yards and three times as many rushing touchdowns as Najee Harris. Like, he's a weapon. (laughs) He's not someone that we necessarily expected to grow this season, I think. And so I think the Giants kind of did too because they declined his fifth-year option. So I kind of wanted to ask you... What what are the Giants going to do next year?
1: Mm-hmm. Great question. Yeah, you could celebrate Daniel Jones and do the parade down Broadway, and then all of a sudden uh, you know, the eggs have to hatch, and it's like, well, now what do we do? We didn't expect this. It's been a great story, and he's been outstanding playing within himself and doing what he does best. I told a story on Ryan Russillo's podcast earlier this week. I'm going to tell it again here. Uh, a lot of times when coaches get shown the door or coaches get fired or general managers get fired, I'll shoot them a note and just say, hey, Uh, If there's anything you ever could possibly need from me, and usually it's nothing, but if it's a reference, if it's a a contact, like I'm here, whatever. So I shot Joe Judge a note when he got fired by the Giants and it was a tumultuous week for him. And he pretty quickly shot back and was like, let me give you a call. And we spoke and Judge, who say what you want about him as at the end, there, like, this is a good dude. I, I have nothing but good things to say about Joe Judge. And He could have very easily buried Daniel Jones. Instead, he was like, hey, one thing, you're on that show all offseason. You do that good morning football. Like, Daniel Jones is tough as nails. Make sure people know that. Daniel Jones comes prepared to work every day. He takes a beating behind that offensive line. And this guy never complains, always prepared, always the right demeanor, never out of control, never calls anyone out and doesn't get too down either. Like, I'm not sure it's going to work in New York. And this was, you know, from Joe Judge, I think he wouldn't mind me saying this. He's like, but that dude, that dude's the real deal. And I remember being like, well, that's cool. Cause like you could have easily buried your former quarterback and said he wasn't good enough for us to win, but he didn't. Fast forward to this year, Daniel Jones gets, gets injured. Daniel Jones gets hit. Daniel Jones lowers his shoulder and like he just gets up for another down. I have so much respect for Daniel Jones. And now there's this question, what do you do with him? Here's what the options are. You can let Daniel Jones walk, test free agency, 25-year-old quarterback who just had a good season, whatever it ends up being. you let him walk and he could either start somewhere else or fight for a starting job or be a backup. We'll see. You could sign him to the, the mega extension, say twenty five to forty million dollars a year. I don't think he's gonna get forty million, but I think if Daniel Jones was offered twenty five to thirty over the next few years, I think his agency and him would would think long and hard about it. Or you can franchise tag him. And franchise tagging him sounds like the move because it's a one-year more commitment of like, all right, prove yourself. But the problem with franchise tagging him is that quarterbacks make so much money right now. It's the average of the top five salaries at the position. So if Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and Aaron Rodgers are all making $40 million and you, that means you might have to pay Daniel Jones 38 to $40 million a year if you franchise tag him for that one year. And then he can still leave the next year if he has an outstanding season because, well, unless you give him that long-term contract, he he don't own the rights to him. I think the Giants are going to wait this thing out. I think they're going to see how far they can take this. And I think it's a really smart conversation to have. If Daniel Jones can get them to the playoffs, I think that's about what I would need to see. Just get into the playoffs. I think that's fair. I think you start at that 25 to $30 million range. I know that might sound ghastly, but if you look at some of the numbers that other quarterbacks are making, it's below market for a starting quarterback in the NFL. And then you see what he says. And then if you go back and forth, well, then you have a real contract negotiation. And guess what? Daniel Jones, I don't think anyone had us having this conversation back uh, in August.
2: Yeah. I, I also was never expecting that from Daniel Jones. Uh, but I am very excited for our next guest, near and dear to my heart with the the Buffalo Bills. Why don't you uh, tee us up for who we've got coming on?
1: Yeah, I'm excited for this guest. All right, so when I started this podcast, I was like, I want to do some different types of guests, and we've already seen two different flavors in our first two weeks. We had Robert Sala, head coach of an NFL team. We got to know him on a personal level, and I thought that was really cool. Then we got Paul Rudd in here for 90 minutes, and Paul Rudd was awesome, and that's a celebrity fan. The third bucket, I want to hit this, and I want to get a bunch of these guys on. It's the up-and-coming coach. It's the up-and-coming guy that you're going to be hearing about for the next decade of your lives as football fans, but you might not know yet. So I was happy when this guy agreed to be a guest this week. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm happy to introduce my guy, Ken Dorsey, Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator and former Miami Hurricane legend.
0: Let's take a listen. You go into your shower feeling tired.
1: Our next guest was a standout quarterback at the University of Miami. From 1999 to 2002, this man had a record of 38-2, and two, the winningest quarterback in Miami history, and he won the national championship in 2001. He was in the NFL, he went into coaching, and now he is the offensive coordinator of one of the... Most amazing offenses in the league. Ladies and gentlemen, let's introduce Ken Dorsey
3: to the wow. Peter Schrager podcast.
1: <laughs> How we doing? Thanks for having me, dude. I love that you're joining us because so often during the season, we get all like into it and we're saying, this guy is the coach of the year and this guy is the next. I coach. And then it's like. Who are the next faces? Who are the next guys? Who are the ones that we should be talking about who are going to be the next decade of great NFL head coaches in this league? And I have, I've been very candid with you and very candid on good morning football that I think you've got all the right stuff. Take us briefly through the the, the path from going from player to coach and what that decision was like for you as you entered the sport at a different level and a different hat really
4: yeah no it was uh obviously a long journey uh from college playing at university of miami then going uh going playing three years in san francisco three years in cleveland and i always kind of took the mentality of i didn't know i was going to get into coaching at that time but i took the mentality of hey i could walk outside get hit by a car and never play football again what am i going to do you know, so honestly coached high school football there until, uh, opportunity with the, uh, in the scouting department with the Carolina Panthers came up and I started off in the, the pro scouting department, uh, which was great for me. Cause then it's, you know, you're really looking at both sides of the ball, you're scouting offense, defense, special teams. So you're really kind of looking at, at all aspects of, of play offensive line, defensive line, you know, so, so learned a lot uh, through that experience that that I really think kind of helped me to to the coaching side of things, and was fortunate enough to get the the quarterback coach job there, um, and, and we had a good run, and and then uh, and then came here to Buffalo and pick it up from there, and and uh, uh, continue rolling with some tweaks and and some uh, some different looks.
1: Yeah, and and you had that career as the scout, as you said, and then you go with Cam Newton. Um, here is this physical specimen like we had never seen in the NFL, at quarterback, you're the quarterbacks coach for Cam Newton, one of the biggest personalities in the league. <laughs> you guys go 15 and one that one magical Super Bowl season. But uh, when you get a guy like Cam Newton and your quarterback, uh, when you were playing pocket guy, mm-hmm. and then you have this guy that does things that are superhuman how did you have to bend and mold your versions of what you envisioned an NFL offense to camp strengths?
4: It's a little bit of learning on the fly, you know, and uh, the great thing about it at the end of the day, you've got to be able to win and, and succeed from the pocket and do things, you know, from the pocket in order to have su- sustained success over the course of time. And so that carries over no matter what, who the quarterback is, whether it's a, a more mobile guy or a true pocket passer guy, um, you've got to be able to, to develop your mechanics from the pocket and, and, uh, and be effective from there while well, not taking away that ability to create, and, and what those guys, you know, what w- what makes them special and what makes them who they are, not not limiting that, and not taking it away. So it's definitely a a balancing act of okay, uh, making sure that they can operate everything they need to from within the pocket, but not handcuffing them and, and and forcing them into something that they're not. Josh Allen is such a special individual, and he's such an
1: important piece to this league, and he's such a good player. You're with him every day. Yeah. Is he as good as it's like as good as I I think the NFL could not draw two greater ambassadors for the sport than Mahomes and Allen Allen. This guy seems like he's Mr. Everything. And he's just a wonderfully gracious human being is, am I just glowing for no reason? Is there a bad
4: side to this guy? No, I mean, he really is. He, he just, I I think he's exactly what you'd want uh, in, in a franchise quarterback in terms of obviously the physical skill set that everybody sees, but then, you know, how he is with his teammates, what he does, you know, in his preparation um, the, the dedication he has to, to, to the organization and to the, just the area of Western New York and Buffalo in general. I mean, I'm very fortunate because I think he's obviously one of the, one of the great players in our league and uh, working with him day in, day out is, is a blast, you know, one, because he is who he is. And two, He's just a great guy to be around. When
1: he leaves his feet like he did against Kansas City or Minnesota, <laughs> do you hold your breath and go, "What are you doing? or or is it like buckle up, let's go?" We're going.
4: <laughs> well, it's uh, it's obviously you know there there's a lot of moments where it's just Josh being Josh and doing Josh type things. So you know you you relish that and you appreciate that you know because there's you, you're not always going to have the perfect play called. You you just won't. I mean, in the in the nature of calling a game, it's just there's going to be plays that they might have a better call than you and you got to trust your guys that they, you know, they know how to react. They know what to do. And, and Josh does an amazing job of getting us out of some, some tough looks and creating and putting a lot of stress on a defense. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, take us back in time when you knew like that, this guy is special, a practice, a story, a game. I'll always think back to 2018, week three, you guys go into Minnesota and he hurdles Anthony Barr. And I'm like, mm-hmm. not a lot of quarterbacks do that. Um, yeah. Yeah but That was with his legs. That wasn't even scratching the surface. When did you know that this dude is different?
4: Uh, I mean, really, really, the second I got here, to be honest with you, just watching him and, and how he reacts by first meeting with him. You know, there there's times you go through and it's like you go through your PowerPoint. I'm a big PowerPoint guy, you know. I, I like, like PowerPoint go, too. Yeah, Let's go or, organization, you know, making sure we're, we're organized, we're on top, and and everybody knows kind of you know what's your thought process is. So, you know, I'm going through PowerPoint with them and uh, just kind of our, our mentality, our thought process, and just how locked in he was, you know, with the first day and just how in tune he is to the coaching, you know, throughout that first off season I had with him. I knew like, okay, this guy wants to learn and get better. Like mm-hmm. this guy really wants to, to, you know, continue to grow as a player, uh, not only physically, but mentally as a coach, you appreciate that you want guys who are striving to to just maximize their, what they have, you know, whether it's, a high ceiling or not a high ceiling because not everybody is as physically gifted as, as the guy next to them. But uh, as a coach, if you've got a bunch of guys who are trying to maximize their ceiling and accepting the coaching, then that's all you could ask for. And and Josh embodies that, you know, so I, I knew it then. And then honestly, you know, after that uh, my first year here, we, we went to the playoffs against Houston and and we had a really good first half. And then obviously in the second half, we kind of lost it. Um, but after that game, I just knew like he has the right makeup, hmm. you know, cause he stood up in front of, the, in front of everybody and said, look, you know, we gotta be better. I gotta be better. Um, you know, and, and, and he, he owned the fact that, Hey, we didn't lose not necessarily all on him, but, you know, he knew that, uh, in order for us to take the next step, he's got to take the next step. And, and I think he owned that moment. And, and I think that's where you, you realize guys grow from those if they handle it the right way.
1: No, it's deep cut, it's like Bill's talk, but like that game, it seemed like there was like a short circuit for Josh, like at halftime. And then he threw that really ill advised lateral. And I think that was on national TV. It was a Saturday afternoon. And like, there was a lot of like, okay, he's good athletically, but maybe. And then the next two seasons, he's just been, you know, mistake free, mm-hmm. disciplined. And I, was there a talk like over the, or do you think it's just naturally just like the maturation of a quarterback?
4: I really believe that when you look at quarterbacks coming into the league, um, there are so many good ones. There are so many guys with, with a tremendous set and, and ability, um, you know, and, and you need the right mental makeup and, and which Josh has, but then it also becomes, okay. You know, reps, reps and reps, not only in practice, but in games and, and the more game reps you get, the more it's easy just to be like react and, and it's, Hey, all right, I've got this play. I know versus coverage, it's not the best play. All right. So where's my outlets. And and it's just quick to an outlet, you know, knowing that, Hey, I'm not going to pass something up, just hoping for something better. And I think the more reps you get, the more you see things and the more it's harder to surprise a guy because he's seen uh, different variations of whether it's Tampa two or post high zones or man's with, Different type of rat players or robbers in the middle. Um, you know, you've seen these different things. So uh, uh, less surprise you, and, and you're quicker to react to things. And the quicker you are to react, the quicker the ball comes out, the more stress you put on a defense. And I think that's, you see that in the maturation of guys, all those older quarterbacks who have been, been able to stay in the league for so long, mm-hmm. they get back, they hit that fifth step, and they're dropping, bam, the ball's coming out. They it's know. either a checkdown or they're ripping a seam or something like that. But it's because They know, you know, they know on this play versus this coverage, I've got a shot at this or I don't have a shot at this so they can eliminate that and move on.
1: Well, it's like, you know, people laugh about how much money Chase Daniels made in this league or your guy Case Keenum. And these guys Mm -hmm. will always have Josh McCown there's a reason they're great in the locker room they're great yeah. in the quarterback's room they're also reliable when you put them in they're not going to cost you a game that was Drew Stanton for years Drew Stanton always had a spot on an NFL roster take us through your quarterback room because I know it's not just you're in that room now Joe Brady is in that room yeah. as well uh, what's it like what's the dynamic case Josh Joe
4: you and I think Barkley
1: might be in there too that's there yeah
4: yeah I mean,
1: this is a cool room what do we got
4: <laughs> it really is it's a and, and that's the great thing about it. You know, you've got Josh, obviously with his experiences, but you got a got a group of guys with tremendous experience, you know, and, and, and been through a lot of things. I mean, uh, obviously Bark was, had been here and then left and then came back and we played him like three or four times last year alone. Like, you know, he kept bouncing around and ended up on, on teams that we were playing. Um, you know, so it's, it's funny. Cause like he has that perspective of, of, teams that played us and and kind of how they saw that's cool you know it's a it's a really cool perspective then you got case who's you know he's been through good times and and tough times and uh you know brought a team to the playoffs and and you know he embodies you know when you think back to the the minneapolis miracle you know type game he embodies the fact of hey if you just keep keep chipping away if you don't get too high you don't get too low and you stay right here you never know what's going to happen in a game because so many times it comes down to the last two minutes of the fourth quarter. And he just embodies that from that game, you know? So it's like, he has that, he has that ability to talk to Josh and be like, Hey, yeah, we might be down seven, 10, uh, you know, whatever it is or up, like you've got to keep your foot on the gas. You got to stay, you know stay level stay focused on hey it's this drive and because he's been there he's he's lived that so that experience is awesome and then yeah joe brady coming in uh coaching those guys it's did you know joe
1: beforehand or no because he was this wunderkind in the league like you talk about lsu and then sean Payton raved about him and then gets
4: a job at carolina at such a young age did you know him so we you know just through coaching ranks and and getting to know him combine and all that stuff you know it's uh And that's where those things are so beneficial because you never know kind of how things unfold throughout the league. So obviously it didn't work out for him in in Carolina. And it's lucky for us because he brings this great knowledge of just the things they've done in New Orleans and the things that he did, obviously, at LSU and and then uh, took with him. So, I mean, it's great. And and the thing that's really beneficial for us is what we want to do this offseason with the, the coaching staff is we have our system and and mm-hmm. what we've run for for multiple years, but it, it's really helped prevent us from being stale by yeah, bringing in guys. Sprinkle in some new stuff, yeah. Yeah, from outside the system, who who haven't necessarily been there. Whether it's a Joe Brady or an Aaron Cromer yeah. um, who hadn't been in the system before, it really has kind of uh, infused some some newness, some some new ideas, which you know, helps those guys in the off season too, of like, okay, it's not the same old stuff. Yeah. It's, you know, it's something new, something that that they could say and, and tangible where you can look at and say, look, this is why we're doing it and why it's going to help us win. And then it's like, okay, that makes sense. And we could buy into this.
1: Bro. That's such a good take. Cause week one, you guys play the Rams and it's like Super Bowl champions versus a team that everyone's hot on. And it was like, it felt like it was nine months of just frustration (laughs) boiling over from that loss against the Chiefs. And it was like, Bill's a palooza. Here we are. And this is everything. And you were so dialed in with those play calls. It was not the same offense we saw last year. It was almost like, let me show you what I got. You know, Mm -hmm. here we go. Uh, Did you feel that like that opening week game going into that with Thursday night football and all the bright lights? Like, hey,
4: we're going to stake our flag on this season. And here's what we're about. Yeah. And obviously anytime you open up against such a great opponent, I mean, they're, they're the Super Bowl champs for a reason and, and they are, I mean, coaching staff wise, player wise, you know, it's, it's, it really kind of forces you in the off season to really have a different level of focus when you're opening up with a game like that, you know, and, and, uh, and it really created that I think for everybody throughout the off season. So uh, it was it was a great environment and and yeah I think that was that's part of it because when you, whenever you take over an offense it's like yeah you're gonna take over but you always want to infuse your personality you always want to infuse what the things you believe in the things you want to kind of incorporate whether it's stuff in the past where it was five years ago I was like oh, I kind of like this but didn't quite get in and we want I want to take a look at it and I believe in it um, but but I think that way if you do that guys buy in a lot better because you're not trying to be something you're not you got to be yourself you got you got to do what you believe in and that creates a lot more buy-in I think from from your guys you know when, when you're doing what you believe in and, and they understand why it's a lot easier for those guys to be all in and and hundred percent behind every single call you make uh, because they understand that
1: uh, it's, a, it's a really cool time in the league in that we're seeing a lot of the concepts from college come in, yeah. but also you see some teams still use a fullback. You see some teams go five wide, like it's so varied. And I look at all the young offensive head coaches in the league right now, whether it be Mike McDaniel down in Miami, who's waited his time and now has his opportunity, LaFleur up in Green Bay, McVeigh obviously, uh, Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. We can go through it. You're a young offensive mind who's getting a lot of eyeballs right now. If you're talking to other coaches, and a lot of the listeners to this are you know, coaches within the NFL, but young coaches at the youth level, how do you just hang tight, be patient, and know that your time is going to come? What is your message? Because now you're the OC of the number one offense in the league, and it's like everyone's talking about Ken Dorsey as, as this great offensive mind, but it, it did not happen overnight. You earned, you earned your seat at the table over years of grinding yeah. it out different jobs. What's your message to someone who might be kind of hitting that wall right now?
4: It's a great question. And, and everybody has dreams and aspirations. I, I go back to college a little bit in my mind on this and in college, um, obviously we had a great run and everybody wanted to ask like, okay, you know, do you think you're, what round do you think you're going to get drafted? Okay. What uh, do you think you should win the Heisman trophy and, and all this stuff? And, and my mentality has always been if the team has success, all that other stuff takes care of itself. <clears throat> the only thing that matters is to me is the team success because if, if I'm focused on those things and the team wins and I maybe miss out on that opportunity, but I'm still locked in on, on the team and we win because of that, I can live with myself. What I can't live with is if I'm worried about this other stuff and I'm not 100% focused on the team and all of a sudden we lose a game that maybe cost us a chance to be in the national championship mm-hmm. that I couldn't live with. I wouldn't be able to live with myself. You know, so if, if I, if I miss out on something because I'm a hundred percent focused and committed to our team success, then, then I can live with, I can live with that. Mm, I love that answer.
1: Uh, we, not me. I know McVeigh has that plastered all over in Los Angeles. That's their whole facility is we, not me. And after you get a little success and the Rams did have a lot of success, and there starts to be a little, now we go to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see some guys get a little recognition. How do you keep them humbled? Josh included. Yeah. How do you keep them humbled that, hey, we haven't done squat yet?
4: Well, I think it's one, uh, what What Sean and Brandon have been able to do, bringing in the right people. I mean, mm-hmm. this is as, as good of a uh, um, as a team I've been around in terms of, one, You know, bringing in talented guys, but then also tremendous people, guys who are, you know committed to each other, uh, committed to the to one common goal, you know, and, and I think that's just through through character and through through bringing in people that that fit the the culture in which those guys and, and us and as an organization are trying to build. I think that's huge. And then at the same time, our guys understanding look, I mean, we haven't won anything yet. I mean it's such a it's such a week to week league. We've got to be mm-hmm. so focused on this week and the right now. Um, because if you don't take that mindset, then you're not going to have the sustained success that you want because you're constantly looking ahead or you're constantly looking back. You've got to focus on right now and you've got to live in the moment right now. Otherwise you have no chance to accomplish what you want to accomplish in the future.
1: Can we go through a little story time? Because that Miami team was my favorite college football <laughs> team. I've got friends who were like, I like Charlie Ward, Nebraska, or I, you know, or Charlie Ward, Florida state, or I like Tommy Frazier, Nebraska. I'm like, Give me Butch Davis, <laughs> Larry Coker, Cane's football. No doubt. Could you for the listener who might be a little younger or might not be as into the college game, could you just go through some of the players on your uh, team from that no. from that
4: squad? Oh, it was fun. I mean my my first couple of years being able to throw with guys to the Reggie Waynes and the Santana Mosses, the Jeremy Shockey's, you know, and, uh, those guys and shoot in the national championship game, Willis McGahee was playing fullback for us. You know, because <laughs> who were the other fullback. running backs? Who else did you have? Uh, we had Willis McGahee, uh, Clint Porras, uh, Frank Gore, um you know so yeah those guys were in our back our backfield and wide receivers
1: were who reggie wayne and andre
4: johnson uh santana moss and then andre andre was the backup who kind of filled in a little bit (laughs) those guys need a break we had a guy named andre king who was our slot receiver played in the league tight end was shockey and winslow or just yeah well so kellen came in as a as a wide receiver Okay. wide receiver early on, and then when Shockey left, moved to tight end. So I had Kellen my senior year, and then on and it, on on defense, it was a whole other. You had the Ed Reeds and the Sean Taylors and Vince Wolforks, um, uh, Mike Rump and Philip Buchanan, who were first round corners. Flip. Jonathan Jonathan Vilma, Dan Morgan. Um, I mean, it's it's when you look back at like the, those games and you see kind of like a team picture, it it, it really is ridiculous and uh, just unbelievably special kind of what that group was able to put together. And, and honestly, the thing I, I really learned from it too, was those guys like, like Ed Reed didn't come in as like Ed five Reed. star. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he came in as, as a freshman, like every other freshman, what made mm. Ed Reed, Ed Reed was one, the amount of work it took. And then two, the culture in which was built of just the competition. And every day it was a knockdown drag in practice. Like every day, like it was a mission in my life to to beat Ed Reed, you know, and and uh, 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 get them on something and, and score touchdowns against that defense. Like it was, it was just a competitive atmosphere that really drove a, a mentality of, of constantly getting better every single day. Your best Jeremy Shockey story in 60 seconds. What do you got? <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, obviously like the, the one thing that, that always sticks out to me is just, uh, Larry Coker comes up to me and he goes, Hey, you know, we got this guy coming in from from eight Oklahoma, small town, you know, and I don't know, you know, I don't know how well he's going to fit in. How's he going to adjust? You know, <laughs> yeah, how's he going to adjust everything? It was Jerry Shocky, and, and he say he <laughs> fitted just fine in, in the Miami area and, and on that team, so he didn't have any issues. <laughs> uh, Sean Taylor, memories, anything that sticks out he was so amazing just in terms of well, early on you knew this kid was going to be just a heat seeking missile oh, as a player the, yeah the whole time you know and and just i mean he was unbelievable just when you when you're back there it's like just the size and range in which he had was incredible you know and and instincts and everything so you always remember those things and just the 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 physical tools and then also like i said just the the type of guy he was like he's just a, a you know, a guy that you just want to spend time with and hang out with. He was, a, mm-hmm. he was a good dude, you know? Um,
1: let's go forward to the Miami game. Obviously we see this video of you getting frustrated. I kind of liked it. I think Josh Allen liked it. I don't want that to be like the persona of Ken Dorsey of like this guy up in the box. What's been the fallout of that? The last couple is, and, Have you leaned into it, or are you like, let's move on from that? Because we had Robert Sala in week one, and he made or the first episode, and he had a comment about, you know, I'm taking taking receipts for everyone who's questioned us. And I asked about it, and he's like, you know, honestly, I I I didn't love that I said that, and I hope it goes away. The clip with you, like, I kind of like the intensity, but I don't know if that's how you want it to be represented on, uh, you know,
4: future interviews being asked about that. No, no doubt. And I think, you know, you learn from your experiences and we're, we're human, you know, and, and we all, we all have reactions as, as human beings, you know, you get frustrated or, 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 whatever it is that you're like, I wish I'd handled that differently, you know? And, and that's one of them when you, when you're in the course of a game like that and you're playing you know, your, your guys are giving you, you know, their heart and soul out on the field, you know, and, and every single ounce of everything they have, um, you know, and, and you're playing 90 plays in that heat and you're losing guys and other guys are having to step in and, uh, um, and, and perform at a high level which they did, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're committed to your guys and, you, and you're, you know, you love those guys and you appreciate everything they're doing for you. So, you know, at the time, it's like when when the game ends and you lose in a in a tough way. You're, you're frustrated. You're you're upset, and you know, but you learn and You learn from it, and you're like, okay, i I need to make sure I, I handle this in a, in a different way. But at the same time, you're never going to take the the, the burning nope. desire to win out of the game for that's yourself. That's what I loved about it. And you he didn't, he didn't
1: swear on camera. I was like, I kind of liked it. I'm like, all right, this Bills team and that coach up
4: there, they're pissed they lost that way, and mm-hmm. like that's that's something that I think every fan can appreciate. No. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's like any, any sport you see it every, you know, in all sports, whether it's, a you know, a, um, an NBA coach getting ejected from game yeah. a game or, uh, you know, a, a baseball, uh, manager getting ejected, whatever, whatever it is, like, you're so, you're so committed to your guys and you love your guys and you want, you know, nothing but success for the organization and for, for your guys. And, you know, um, as as you grow and, and learn these things, you you learn, okay, well, there's way to ways to obviously handle that, but um, you know, I, I don't think you ever want to take that that burning desire, you know, out of any player you have, um, or any coach that you have, but at the same time, just handle it in, in maybe in a different way.
1: Okay, for listeners who aren't Bills fans, getting to know you now on this podcast. Tell us about your family life, uh, your professional aspirations, and more or less
4: give us the Ken Dorsey elevator speech of who are you and what are your core values in about sixty seconds. Well, I think the the biggest thing for me is, uh, you know, I I I love ball. You know, I've got a I've got a family who loves ball because they don't see me. So my wife is, uh, <laughs> is somebody who's. Uh, as committed to football, she hates watching, watching ball with other people. Cause they talk to her about non football things. Yeah. That oh, time. My wife
1: too. And I'm not yeah. even a coach. It's like, <laughs> if it's not football, I don't really have any other interests at this moment. Yeah. yeah,
4: exactly. So she does a great job with the kids and, and, uh, in the season, cause she's a single mom during the year, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and has no complaints about it. that helps me. So, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing for me and, and, uh, at home. And then, you know, from, from aspect of, of what I believe in, I, I, my, my beliefs are, are kind of simple in terms of coaching. I believe in, in you know, playing with speed, physicality and discipline. And mm. uh, I think if you play with those three things as an offense, you, you're going to always give yourself a chance to win. Mm. Ken, that was good. That was really
1: good. <laughs> my last thing, Josh Allen, Cam Newton, you've coached some great NFL quarterbacks. Do they have any idea what a badass you were in college? Like, do they know? Do they do they ever go back like to Cam Newton coming in as MVP and all this stuff? Does he look back and be like, yo, coach, you're pretty damn good yourself?
4: Like, do they know? Do these young guys know? Uh, I think uh, I think they're getting less and less aware, <laughs> you know. But Josh, uh Josh likes to give me a hard time about it and everything. He likes to he likes to joke, he he likes to go around and tell them uh any. Anybody who talks to an interview or whatever, that I just basically walk around with a stamp on my forehead that I was 38 and two as a, start, as a college <laughs> starter. So, oh, yeah. Like, like I, uh, like I just skill around, just that's the first thing when I introduce myself. I'm Ken Dorsey. <laughs> I was 38 and two as a starter in college. You know, I, I feel 25 like 25 years of,
1: ago, I
3: was
4: yeah, I, <laughs> Al, Al Bundy,
1: Polk <laughs> High School. Let's exactly go. Exactly
4: right. Yeah. Exactly right. But, uh, I think, uh, I think they, they kind of, you know, it's, it's the age of, uh, the internet and, uh, obviously social media and everything. So they can look up anything. So I think anytime, you know, you're new, uh, they automatically just Google you and see what you're all about. <laughs> Awesome. Um, well, you're all about ball and
1: you're all about
4: winning football
1: right now. I just wanted to thank you so much during the season coming on our podcast. And Ken, I'm just wishing you the best of luck. You're a great dude and you're really well-respected around the league. And I hope that the listeners get a glimpse right now from this podcast of what a great guy you are. Thanks for joining, man. No, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. So good. Ken Dorsey, offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills. And a 38-2 and two starter in college. Don't ever forget it. Thanks, <laughs> That's <Ken>. right. <laughs>
0: Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.
1: All right, so from one place where things are going great right now, Buffalo, and everyone's feeling themselves and the offense is awesome, to another where, I don't know what to say, Tampa Bay, this might be the least entertaining team in football right now. I don't know what's going on with Tom Brady. They lose to the Carolina Panthers, a team that... Had a lot of spirit, but certainly if you look at the rosters, did not have the same caliber of skill position players and talent to go up there and and just absolutely beat them last week. I watch Tampa Bay, I'm confused, and if you love this podcast, you love our segment called Make Me Smarter, where I bring in my guy, Tony Holzman-Escoreno. Tony is a star researcher at the NFL Network, and he has so much more, but one of Tony's greatest qualities is that he makes me smarter. He sends emails (laughs) like, hey, did you know this? And during the combine and the draft, he's got all the information.
5: Tony, what's good? Hey, what's up, Sharks? You are far too kind, but I appreciate you.
1: Yeah. uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's take the call
4: and Let's
5: keep on rolling because
1: we're about to get negative. Um, Make me smarter. I know I've seen Brady have some bad games, but like I never... Is this the worst we've seen, Tom Brady?
5: I mean, it's definitely the worst start he's had as far as win-loss record since 2002, which was his only true non-playoff season as a starter, excluding 2008 when he had the knee injury in week one. And Brady's averaging his fewest pass touchdowns per game since becoming a starter. So it hasn't been the greatest start down in Tampa Bay, like you alluded to.
1: Yeah, so let's ask about that because I watch these games and it's like, it's not like Brady's getting, like, it's not it's not the Joe Burrow the first two weeks where Burrow's running like a chicken with his head cut off because the offensive line can't protect him. It's not like it's, uh, you see some of these other teams that the offensive line is just an absolute sieve. Brady's looking like he's got time in the pocket and then he's just misfiring. So make me smarter. Like, what the hell's going on?
5: Well, the offensive line did go through a lot of changes this year, as we saw like the interior offensive line get decimated with Ali Marpet retiring, Alex Kappa going to the Bengals, and then Ryan Jensen suffering that serious knee injury in training camp. But where Brady's been struggling the most is under pressure. Last season, he was had the fifth highest pass rating under pressure in the NFL, according to our in-house Next Gen Stats, which I always got to plug. Love Next Gen Stats. This season, he has the third lowest passer rating under pressure. He literally, if he threw every one of his passing attempts under pressure into the stands, he would have the same passer rating that he has right now. So it hasn't been going great under pressure for Brady. Wow.
1: So what is that? Give us the numbers. Like,
5: If you throw only incompletions, you have a passer rating of 39.6. You can't get any lower than that if you don't throw picks and you just only throw incompletions. Brady's passer rating under pressure this season is 39.6. Damn.
1: All right. So part of me, part of me wants to say, okay, they play Thursday night. Brady gets a win, suddenly they're back in first place, and here we go, we're on this run, and we all look stupid, and there's egg on our face for even doubting him. Then part of me is like, he's going through a uh, you know a personal situation with his marriage, the, the Gronk's not there, the offensive line sucks. If you were to bet, do you think Brady turns us around and it's the old Brady, or do you think, Tony, based on the numbers and based on what you see, hey, there's a cliff, and Tom Brady's falling off it.
5: I mean, I want to preface this by saying we're talking about Seven-time Super Bowl champion, greatest (laughs) resume in NFL history. 45-year-old dude who's playing with dudes who could be his son. Um, But Brady is the least pressure quarterback in the NFL, even though we're talking about bad pressure. But it's because he has to get the ball out faster than any quarterback in the NFL. His average time to throw is 2.4 seconds, which is faster than what next-gen stats defines as quick passes. But the quick passes have still kind of been there. He has seven of his eight passing touchdowns on those throws this season. But it's those longer developing plays that Brady hasn't been hitting on this year. Over the last two seasons, when he had 40 touchdowns in each of those years, he led the NFL in pass touchdowns and in in-rhythm throws, which is basically that sweet spot between quick passes and extended throws. This season, he has no touchdowns on those passes. The thing that worries me is the Buccaneers' rush offense. They've never been a team to run the ball a lot. The problem is, this year, they're averaging 64 yards a game. That's not only the fewest in the NFL this season, if that continued, it would be the fewest by any team in the Super Bowl era since 1966. That is a bad thing. They don't run the ball, and they're bad at it when they run the ball. Yeah. Um, this has also contributed to their third down percentage being down by, like, 10 points this year. Huge. I mean, if you can't run the ball, you can't get ahead of the change. Like It's harder in the NFL when you have third and long. Those those things are definitely concerning me. But I will say this: I'm never going to root against Tom Brady.
1: No, no I've done no, it no, before. Rooting. Not rooting. Are you picking against him? Forget rooting. I don't care about your your, your fandom.
5: Yeah, yeah I, I missed I'm I'm I missed that. I'm not even a Patriots fan. But <laughs> I'm not I'm not ever betting against Tom Brady. Got it. Turning it around because we've all bet against him before and saw him in 2019. Like, is it over? Yep. Like, is it over? And then he won Whoa. a Super Bowl.
1: There was an America's game. I guess it was. It must have been the 2019 team when they beat the Rams. And half of that America's game series is just me and Nate Burleson crapping all over the Patriots. And then like they would cut to us on Good Morning Football and then show them like rallying and winning. And I was like, oh, thanks, NFL Films, way to put me in a good spot. Um, I'm not doubting Brady either, but seven weeks is a pretty good sample size. I'll it check is. in after 10 weeks. If it doesn't get going, I don't think it's suddenly going to magically happen.
5: For sure. Thanksgiving is like that that line yeah, of what it. What team are you? Who are you this year? Yeah. Um, there's a big and, matchup with Lamar coming up, which is two quarterbacks yeah. who should probably be better in the win-loss record than they are this season.
1: Yeah, Tony, you always win. Thank you for making me smarter.
5: I appreciate you for having me, Shrek. It's for real. I really do.
1: Every week on this podcast, I'm going to bring on one of my personal friends, uh, either someone in the NFL world or someone that, that is like a real friend, a guy that I've known since high school or college, and they're going to give me a take. And this particular one is one of my best friends, Noah. Noah and I went to college together at Emory University uh noah was like the first guy i met on campus he was a jersey shore guy just like me we were living in atlanta we had no idea what was going on down there and we have been best friends ever since noah listened to the paul rudd podcast and he heard something that he had to respond to let's toss to paul rudd last week talking about aaron judge's 61st home run ball and what happened to it
6: uh sarah speaking of sarah's yeah. uh,
1: Sarah
4: Walsh?
6: Yeah, whose husband caught the ball. Yes, Matt Bushman. Matt Bushman
1: to just give the ball back. Do we have to tell the story? Okay, so here's what happened. Uh, Sarah Walsh was an announcer on NFL Network, a reporter, she's great. Uh has filled in on Good Morning Football multiple times. I know
6: it's a story. It's a it's a it's a, it's it's a, a bit of a context, old. but let's explain it. Um, well when Aaron Judge hit yeah. the, tied the record, right? He, he tied,
1: her husband is the bullpen coach of the Toronto Blue Jays yes. and had the ball in his hand, the number sixty two.
6: And he gave the ball back to Aaron Judge. Yes. Who then gave it to his mom and sixty one. Or sixty one. And uh and and um and there was a big, you know. He shouldn't have done that. Absolutely. What a cool move. And right. I would like to shout out that guy for doing the right thing. Way to go. And Dude. Sarah, you two. props to your husband. Good for you. And, and you too, yes.
1: Great moments in NFL Network history. My boy Noah is listening to the podcast. He fired off a text to the group chat. Ladies and gentlemen, my man Noah, Noah, please respond and give us your take. Uh, Peter, I'm, I'm cringing over here. I'm
3: cringing over here. So, uh, Let me start off by saying no one loves Paul Rudd more than me, okay? <laughs> no one loves Paul Rudd more than me. All right, his work as Josh and Clueless. I mean, yes. an aspiring lawyer that, like, gets the girl. It's sung and, to you. It's sung to you. I mean, as a lawyer myself, he made being a lawyer an attractive thing to be for every woman Woman that came of age in the 1990s, and I am forever grateful for that, okay? I love, love Paul Rudd. But, however. However, however. In talking about this home run ball, okay? He used two words in that clip you played that really stuck in my craw, okay? And those two words were right thing, okay? He said that
6: <laughs>
5: Bushman did the
6: quote right thing. I would like to shout out that guy for doing the right thing. Now, maybe for Ant-Man
5: or you know,
3: a former a former MLB star married to one of your NFL Colleagues, they can uh, give away a two million dollar lottery ticket, and it's the right thing to do. But, but for me, and and you know me, Peter, I'm a man of the people. If anything, a man
1: of the people, a man That's of the it. people. Okay, you speak for the common man.
3: The common man. And what I'm worried about is when it's not, you know, uh, Phoebe's boyfriend that gets the ball here, but it's <laughs> it's some, you know, random, some kid, some uh, average Joe who gets the next valuable ball. Is this innocent? Person is this Joe the plumber going to be harassed and harangued? The plumber because uh, he didn't do the quote right thing. Okay, so I- I'm looking out for the people, and you know that about me.
1: I, I do think that, like, here we are. We're all uh, Pollyanna here. You know, I don't care how much money you know Bushman and Walsh have as a collective as a couple. You gave away a million dollars right there. You just gave it away- for what? For his mommy to have it?
3: Ex- exactly. It's a- it's a crazy thing to do. I mean, judges obviously. <laughs> He's obviously doing okay for himself, we can say. <laughs> but but let me ask you a, a question, Peter. When you were a kid, you'd go to you'd go to baseball games, I assume, every now and then. Sure, and, and Yeah. Would you maybe take your your baseball glove, your mitt? Bring the, the game? mitt. You'd bring the mitt. You bring the mitt. And why would you bring the mitt? Why would you? Because you, you want the ball. You want the ball. Just in case there's a ball, you have you go to the game with a with a dream that you're going to catch that ball. Okay. You do that because there's a social contract that we've all entered into when we go to an M- with the MLB that when you catch that ball, <laughs> it is your ball. Imagine being and a kid going to the game, you catch that ball and all of a sudden now uh, Paul Rudd has told the world it's the right thing. You got to give it back. I can't stand for that, Peter. You know that.
1: I'm going to go one step further. Last year, Mike Evans catches a touchdown pass and uh, throws it into the stands. And the guy in the stands gives it back to the Buccaneers and in exchange gets like a signed Tom Brady jersey. And everyone's like, well, that was a good story. You know, you and I were texting then. You were outraged at that guy.
3: Yeah, I see it. I see it all the time, Peter, and I don't like it. (laughs) I I, I don't like it. Listen, if that is your... Listen, if you want to give it back, that's your prerogative. I'm going to question you. I, I might not uh, trust you with my finances. If you're making <laughs> those decisions, that's up to you. But uh, but yeah, like if it's me, listen, I'm taking the two million dollars, okay, and I'll I'll go to my grave having not done the right thing. And Paul runs. Out,
1: okay? <laughs> I'll live with it. I'll, live with it. I'll uh, live with it. You're right. You know, the Marvel universe might make it a different decision for some people, but I'm with you, man. I don't know. That'd be a real moral and ethical this debate. Like, what do you? Because Aaron Judge gets it, hands it to his mother, and everyone says, "Well, that's a nice one. and Then we all forget about the next day. The, 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 Matt Bushman, he's sitting there. All right, back to job, and I just gave away a million dollars. Do I get a pat in the back every single day? No, it's a moment time.
3: Does does Matt Bushman not have car payments to make? I mean, come on, <laughs> give the guy a break.
1: Let him let him collect his cash. He caught
3: let
4: the ball. Let him collect it.
1: All right. So the take here is that we are not for shaming those who do not give back the That's record-breaking right. ball to the athlete or to the athlete's mother.
3: Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I don't want to get into an ethical argument about the, you know, John Stuart Mill and utilitarianism with with Paul <laughs> Rudd here. But I would I would ask him to go do a little self-reflection on, on what makes it the quote right thing. OK,
1: I love you, dude. You nailed it. We uh, Incredible.
3: Noah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is a dream, a dream to be on. This is my 61st home run ball. So thank you for making <laughs> it. real. It. And this I'm not going to
1: rob you of it. Awesome. And there you have it. That's what this podcast is. It's takes on takes on takes. It's insight. And today I can't thank uh, our guests enough. Ken Dorsey, incredible. He's Going to be in the running for a lot of head coaching jobs. You got to know him first on this podcast. I thought he was wonderful. And I'll go down to Coral Gables in the early 2000s on Memory Lane anytime you want to talk Ed Reed, Sean Taylor, and uh, Jeremy Shockey. Tony, our guy from the NFL Research Department, explaining that Brady is uh, as bad as it looks. And then, of course, my boy Noah coming in. But you know, Aaron, I ask you, uh, three for three, I feel like this podcast was a home run.
2: It was great. Yeah, it was not the take I was expecting when you said you wanted to talk about Aaron Judge. And uh, it was great. I loved it.
1: There we go. Guys, till next week. Thanks for listening. It's The Season with Peter Schrager. Keep on subscribing and please tell your friends.